Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Salmon Trout Steel Eater Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Holmgren, and today's episode deals with early run coho, or a run coho, as they're called. And this episode is brought to you by amatobooks.com, www.amatobooks.com. There's a bunch of wonderful information there, and you can also subscribe to the magazine Salmon Trout Steelheader and Great Lakes Angler, which is the best way to support this podcast. So this is kind of in response uh, to a few messages that I've gotten, as well as a phone call about what to do when you see A-run coho everywhere, and they're just not biting. So first of all, I just kind of want to start this off by saying There is not necessarily a silver bullet for A-run coho everywhere. However, there are some things that you can do that will increase your odds of catching those early coho which seem to be lockjawed. And most of the time they are. So here's kind of a situation that you can think about, um, which I'm sure many of you on the Pacific Northwest Coast have experienced where... A bunch of A-run coho will come in. They'll be jumping everywhere. Perhaps you see kind of a dark section where there's 30-plus coho in a pod, and they're all kind of hanging out. And I want to speak specifically uh, to this weekend. I had a birthday weekend. I turned 33. I was up on the reservation with a phenomenal fishing guide, Ruben Estevillo, Unfortunately, he's kind of booked out nonstop, so he's not necessarily someone that you can get a hold of and book a trip with. I wish that were the case, but um, he's already got his clientele, and I was lucky enough to get him on an off day and do a birthday trip, and I went up with my friend Kelly Wilson. I figured I'd invite Kelly because he's in a very good stick, a cool guy to hang out with, and uh, really good at fishing, so I just wanted to maximize our opportunity. And so I'll just kind of give a little bit of a rundown of that trip. Uh, we started out launching a little higher than everyone else. We took the drift boat down, whereas other people were using their sleds or a drift boat with a uh, with a trolling motor. And they were down in the bottom section of tidewater. And uh, we actually started out uh, a little bit above, although not far, maybe a half mile or less. And we did get into some Chinook and Coho, as well as a Pink Sam and a Cutthroat. I um, I was doing bobber and eggs, as well as casting the Owl's Goldfish. I did end up hooking uh, four species on the Owl's Goldfish, a copper spoon, half ounce. Um, it was really cool. I got a Chinook Jacks, a couple of those, as well as I lost a Coho and got a Pink salmon and a Cutthroat on that spoon. Uh, you know, and got a nice, uh, nice adult Chinook on bobber and eggs up there. But then we started floating down river and the next couple of holes were pretty much dead and empty. And Reuben said there was probably fish in there, but they weren't showing themselves. They certainly weren't biting. And as we got down near the boat launch, I thought, you know, Hey, this is, this is cool. We had a nice morning. We hooked multiple species and I told Ruben, hey, I'm not worried about it. Let's take let's uh, take out of here early, and Kelly and I can go along the Washington coast and fish some of our favorite rivers on the way down from the Olympic Peninsula. But Ruben said that uh, right about end of low tide, there would be a bunch of coho pushing in. And he said, why don't we just uh, roll on down there? And it's a really tough bite, but why don't we give it a shot? So we did, and we rolled down. 
and we moved past a bunch of grassy bottom. What was interesting is I saw a ton of fry everywhere you could look. They were kind of holding and hiding in that grassy bottom. And then once we got below that, there was kind of a, a gravel bottom and we were only about a quarter to half mile from the ocean. And, uh, by the time we got down there, there was a run coho rolling everywhere. And we spent about two hours down there with a run coho rolling five feet, 10 feet from the boat all over. They were everywhere. And out of, you know, probably 50 fishermen, we only saw about four caught. Now we did end up catching three coho in that situation. But it came out of sheer dedication and a ton of casts and switching things up. So uh, in that case, when there was a ton of coho around in Tidewater, you're basically just looking for the 1 in 100 coho, the aggressive one, or maybe the right cast. And so I would kind of suggest a few certain things when it comes to those early run coho in tidewater or upriver. First of all, if you can get them in the morning at first light, that is a really good option for getting one of those fish to bite. They've been kind of holding all night, traveling upriver, and they've just started to hold in a hole. And that is one of the cases where when the uh, before the sun um, comes over the horizon, and right when it does, sometimes you can get a snap or two from those early run fish. So that's kind of the first idea. Super early morning, if you're able to, that's one of your better bets. And at that time of day, you might be floating bait, you might be twitching jigs, casting wiggle warts or spinners. Um, one thing I have noticed, just for me personally, and I'm not saying this is the case on every river, uh, but twitching jigs for A-run coho are not necessarily my best bet unless I go light and dark colors in the early morning or the late evening. Now for A-run coho on some rivers that I fish, uh, the the best that I have done is with wiggle warts or maglips in a few specific colors. Um, something, a plug will wake up a fish that has not been biting anything. Sometimes that that erratic, aggressive action from a plug will get a fish to bite. Another one that I'll go with is a blue fox spinner in either blue and chrome or purple and chrome, or in the case of Saturday, black with a with a gold black to the blade and a black body. And I did get three bites and finally got my last coho of the day on that black spinner. We did also get one on a soft spinner, the Wicked Lures, Ruben Estevillo stepped up and made some casts with that, and we got a fish on that. Um, I would say those are certainly deadly when the water comes up a bit more, but they can also they can also be effective sometimes on those early run coho in uh, in clear water situations. So in the case that fish are rolling all around, they're just kind of holding. Maybe they're moving a little bit. Maybe they're flushing in with the tide you might just have to make a thousand casts. And I would suggest switching between um, kind of the bell spinners like a blue fox or, or there's some wonderful spinners out there. I've used the North Fork Lures, a hoochie spinner. I've used the R&B, the River Fisher. I don't even know if all of those are in effect anymore. There's a bunch of great spinners out there. Um, and then wiggle warts. I kind of do well with the pink wiggle wart, um, perhaps an orange, 
And of course, the black and purple is a deadly one. Um, I don't know if he wants me to tell you this, but Nick Amato, when I looked in his coho box, he had nothing but the black and purple wigglewort. And that is certainly a deadly plug. But you're basically just going to be launching casts as many as you can until you find that one coho that will bite. Even if there's 300 in the hole, it might just be one fish. But with this in mind, you're going to want to pay attention if you're in tidal areas, you know, to the low slack, the high slack, the outgoing, the incoming. And it really depends on the system. There are systems where outgoing is best or systems that right at the beginning of incoming is the best. And I wish there was one hard and fast rule, but there really isn't. And this is where local knowledge really comes into effect. If you can find out anything from the locals or put in your time in fishing different parts of the tide, you might find a time that those coho actually go on the snap in other parts where they don't. Um, Now, with that in mind, if you're fishing a little bit farther up in a tributary or a, a tidewater situation with some structure, often when I see coho jumping And this also applies to Chinook. Um, If I see fish jumping in the back of the hole and say 30 yards ahead of it is a riffle leading into a rapid into the next run. If I see jumpers, I will go up to the top of the hole and I will fish that riffle right before the rapid. Because often the fish that are on the move will nose up into those riffles getting ready to move whether it's at night or at the next opportunity. And even if you don't see any jumpers up there in the riffle, there could be three or four fish up there that are much more willing to bite. And in those situations, if you have a spinner that you can get through there, or a quick twitching jig, perhaps a plug, and also bobber-dogged eggs can be excellent for these A-run coho. And you don't have to go crazy with your eggs. Really, there's uh, a lot of value in just a well-cured, well-taken-care-of egg with borax, salt, and sugar. And I personally haven't found a magic bullet as far as scent when it comes to eggs. Um, Perhaps there's some people out there that might like to comment. I'd love to hear it if you have a specific scent. But just a quality egg, you know, kind of the idea with the steelhead eggs is to go, you know, pretty firm and tacky. And with Chinook, you want something that milks out a little bit more. And with Coho, I feel like it's a little bit in between. You want something right in the middle of milky as well as something strong that's going to hold up for multiple casts. But again, if you can get into those riffles that fish are nosing up into, especially in the morning, you have a really good chance at just getting a fish, catching them off their guard, swinging a spinner or a plug right in front of them, And this is something else I want to mention is spoons. So, spoons can be a bit of a deadly move when it comes to A-run coho. If there's direct sunlight out, uh, I was on Saturday using the Owl's Goldfish uh, half ounce in just a straight copper. And I actually hooked four different species on it. I had a Grand Slam on it uh, from Chinook, coho, cutthroat, and pink salmon on Saturday on the Olympic Peninsula on that half-ounce copper spoon. But, of course, the little Cleos, the BC Steels, there's a bunch of uh, great spoons out there. 
I tend to go for either a chrome and blue or a copper or a gold and chrome, some sort of contrast, unless it's direct sunlight where I'll go with a copper. And one thing that I've uh, I found out about is a black spoon on top with some sort of contrasting color on the bottom of the spoon can also be deadly, or even an all-black spoon, as well as the all-black spinner. Like I mentioned before, uh, I got three bites on the all-black spinner in a really tough bite in Tidewater. So black is an unobtrusive color, and it can really get uh, those coho on the bite. Now, one spoon that does work in certain areas, and it doesn't work at all in other areas, is the little teeny Dick Knight spoons. And this is something to keep in mind. If you can get a chrome and chartreuse, or a chrome and blue, perhaps a chrome and gold, and you drift fish it with like a four-foot leader in a, in a drift weight. I like to use the uh, Dave's Tingle Free stick weights myself, and like quarter... Um, or half ounce, when you let that thing tumble in front of an A-run coho and it's just kind of flashing around, it doesn't frighten them at all and they can just close their mouth around it. I've had some incredible days up in the Puget Sound fishing that Dick Knight spoon and it's something that doesn't get used in other areas that is worth trying out. You get the smallest version, you don't change out the hook, keep the little trout hook on it, and you might want to drift fish that. In some instances, you're going to want to put a 6-inch dropper to your weight, to the swivel, and then a 4-foot leader. But this is something that a lot of people in certain fisheries will do and have phenomenal success. I know me and three friends, we had a 20-fish day up in the Puget Sound doing this drifting of Dick Knight spoons. Um, but it's something that is kind of underutilized and underdeveloped and in certain situations it's going to turn on the bite but ultimately i'd say for those a run cohos all those spinners and spoons and dick nights and good eggs is great at the end of the day plugs casted or trolled wiggle warts or maglips um, there's a bunch of wonderful Lures on the market, you don't want to go too big. You're not going to be wanting to get into like a K-15 quick fish or anything. But if you can get something in the steelhead size or slightly bigger, um, that's what my dad and I learned to do, trolling in tidewater in a tributary of the Columbia River. We would either be casting wiggle warts um, or trolling them. And when the A-run coho were in, we would troll them quite a ways behind the boat because we kind of figured they were skittish we'd uh we'd get it out you know you if you got a line counter get it at least 70 or 80 out if there's not other people around you're not tangling with people and you can get it way out behind the boat and then try a small size or a big size when a run coho aren't biting i like to switch from either a really small size presentation or a really big size and by the same token, I like to switch between a subtle presentation or a big, bright, flashy presentation. Ultimately, I would recommend if you're having trouble with these A-run coho and they're not biting, consistently switch it up, whether it's your lure or where you're fishing. And if you see jumpers, certainly cast at them, but then look for any structure upriver or downriver from them. And they might not be jumping there but cast there anyway. And ultimately, if it's just not working for you, 
just wait a while. Those coho are going to bite better. And so don't get frustrated. We all have trouble with them. So thanks again for listening to the Salmon Trout Steel Letter Podcast. Got some nice messages from you guys, and uh, please continue to reach out. My name is Lucas Holmgren. You can get in touch at lucasholmgrenmedia at gmail.com. Again, that is L-U-C-A-S-H-O-L-M-G-R-E-N media at gmail.com. And again, the best way to support this podcast is by subscribing to the Salmon Trout Steelheader magazine. And there is a digital option out as well if you go to salmontroutsteelheader.com. So keep that in mind. Good luck, guys. And if you got pictures, send them over to me. I'll get them over to Nick Amato and Tony Amato. We can get them in the hog pen. We'd love to see your pictures. And if you got a short description about a sentence long, let us know. We want to get you in the magazine. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.